are you doing today? My name is Aslan. If you don't know me, I'm one of the speaking pastors for our third service. And Dr. Crystal was scheduled to speak today, first and second, like usual, but she had her wisdom teeth out on Monday. And her and her optimism was like, I can still do it. But yesterday she called me, she's still very swollen and very sore, so she asked me to uh, speak at first and second as well. So thank you for receiving me here today. This is an honor for me. So I'm going to get us started in our first two commandments, because we have started this series. We're going to look at each of the Ten Commandments. And I'm not going to really give an introduction, so it might feel kind of odd that we're just jumping right in, but Pastor Peter last week gave a really great introductory sermon. So if you were not here last week, I encourage you that this week to go online and listen to it because it will answer maybe some questions you might have sitting here right now, like why talk about the Old Testament? Why talk about the Ten Commandments? How is this relevant? Why should we care? It's too strict. He answers all those questions. It's very good. So I'm going to skip that and just get right to it. The only thing I'm going to pull from last week to begin with is that when we talk about the law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments would be included in that, it can feel very heavy, right? It's very convicting. It's very like, gosh, what a heavy weight. What, a strict, what strict rules. And that's because these were the laws given to help God's people live and walk out righteousness. But we know because of sin that none of us can do that, right? None of us are perfect. We all fall short. And thankfully, we live on this side of the cross. And so we have Jesus' payment. His death on the cross covers where we fall short. So I want, as we talk about these first two commandments today, and if you feel like I'm kind of stepping on your toes, know that I'm stepping on my toes too. And if you kind of get like ugh, overwhelmed by it, just say to yourself, thank you, God. Thank you, God. If you feel conviction, if you feel that heavy burden of the law of the Ten Commandments, just say, thank you, God, because you have paid the price for when I fall short. Okay? So let's get started. We're going to read the scripture together. Exodus 20. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Here's the first one. You must not have any other God but me. Number two, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Amen. Every person who has ever lived and will ever live has a void inside of them. And we know, as Christians, we believe that void exists because God should be the center of our life. And even if you're not religious, we know that this void exists because of what humanity strives for. And that's purpose. Every human alive desires and longs to live for a purpose. There's no one that is just aimlessly like, 
Who cares? Everyone, that's a deep desire. And so we fill that purpose. Some people fill that purpose with their family. Like That is what I'm here for. For some, it's work. For some, it's partying. For some, it's sex. Everyone fills that void with something because there is that drive for that. I need to have a purpose. I need something to be the center of my life that I can connect everything to. So if you don't know, if you're like, well, as a Christian, you're like, yes, that center is God. Good, that's what we want. But even if you're not religious, if you're not a Christian, you might think, well, I don't know, what's, what is my God? Everyone has one. Everyone is serving a God and has put that in the center. And the way you find out what that is, is by asking yourself, what, is the hard, what would be the hardest thing to give up? Or who would be the hardest person for me to give up? It might be your spouse, like, oh, how would I live without them? That would be so hard to give them up. Your work, your career, that's my identity. It's my purpose. Well, you just found your God, a thing that is at the center of who you are and giving you purpose. And so that's why this first commandment is so important. It's still important to us, even if you're like, okay, well, I'm a Christian. So I have said that God is the center of my life. But still, there's something with humanity that we constantly are looking to put other things in the center of our life. And the problem with having other gods is that it will always lead to slavery. It will always end in slavery. And we see this when that verse opens. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were chained they were beaten, they were whipped, they were forced to make bricks that were crushing them so heavy they could barely lift them. It was literally crushing them. Their lives were misery. And the Egyptians would take their children and throw them into the Nile River to drown and be eaten by crocodiles. It was horrible. And God says, I pulled you out of that slavery and I never want you to be enslaved again. And the first thing he tells us to avoid becoming enslaved is he says, do not have any other God but me. Because any other thing that you put in that spot where I am supposed to be will end up enslaving you. And we, could, we just, some of us participated in the fast in January. We like to start the year fasting together as a church. It's very easy to see some very simple examples of things we can be enslaved to, right? Did anyone give up coffee or caffeine or sugar? And it's like, oh my gosh. It's like truly you think, I don't know if I can survive. I don't know if I can get through these 21 days without coffee, without TV, or without sugar. Whatever it is you gave up. So many things in our life can turn into slavery and bondage when God is not the center. So what we do as Christians is we think, okay, prioritize, right? That's how you get through life is you prioritize what's important. So we're like, as long as I can get God in the number one spot, I can feel good about myself. So it's like, you're all here today, the first day of the week. Pat yourself on the back, right? That's what we think. We're like, oh, we gave him the first of the week, so that's good. And then we prioritize prioritize everything else, our marriage, our children, our impact in the world, money. But God's like, uh-uh. I'm not looking to be number one on a priority list. I am looking to be the center of it all. 
the thing that every other thing is connected to comes out of that as Christ, as me, the center of it all. He doesn't come to us and say, what are you interested in? What's your passion? And I'll work with that. We'll work together. We'll make something of this. I am the center, me. I love you. I created you. And if you choose anything other than me to be the source of your life, you will be enslaved to that thing, even things that are good. So let's look. I've just given some examples of things as a culture that we make our gods. These may not apply to you, um, but they're definitely relevant in our culture. And there's certainly more that I could have chosen, but here are some common ones. Got sports. Yeah, right? That's a god to some people. It's like the most important thing. Saturdays, Monday nights are blocked off. It's like, don't expect me to socialize. Don't do anything. This is my life, okay? I don't get that one. That's not me, but... Money, this is one that everyone can agree. Money or even just representing stuff, wealth, success. This is probably one of the most common gods that we create, that we put at the center of our life. It's interesting, if you read anything about the 2008 economic crisis that our country had, shortly after that began, there was a string of influential suicides that happened like six to seven high-profile CFOs of companies, chief executors of banks, of housing developments, because when it came crashing down and they were left without money, the business failed, that was their God, and it was gone. What they were living for, the center of their life, was removed for them. So there was like... All throughout the news, one guy jumped out of his 20-story building. One guy shot himself in his Jaguar. Another executive hung himself in his basement. Because without that center, they lost their identity, what they were living for. They lost their God. We have celebrities. That's a big one in our culture. Celebrities, musicians, people. We pattern our life after them. We copy them. We give our money to them. And that can be, for some people... The most important thing. If you think about it, we'll spend hours driving to a venue to see a concert. We can spend hours waiting in line. People will wait to, to get a picture with a celebrity for hours. But if Pastor Mark goes over the 30-minute speaking limit, we're like, oh, my gosh. Does he not know we have a life? How long are we supposed to listen to the word of God? Because i got a movie to catch that I'm going to sit in for three hours, glued, unmoving, refuse to go to the bathroom because this movie is so important to me. At concerts, we're like, encore, encore. After three hours of singing in church, it's like, come on, get on with it already. But we do this, don't we? Leisure. I just put Netflix to represent that. That's my leisure time. Netflix and chill. That becomes a God to us, right? My time, me time, having the evenings to myself, having the weekends, whatever. That can become our God, our center. What up, alcohol? I just need it socially. I just need it to make me like, cool, now I can work the room. Alcohol can become that. Ooh, we're starting to get, starting to get a little painful here. Business. Now, is business important? Absolutely. Do we need money? Yes. Provide for your families. Our city needs money. The church needs money. People need money. 
All right? So it's definitely a good thing to work. But if work is your center, if it is the most important thing to you, your life will become enslaved because your children pay the price, your wife, husband pays the price. It's a good thing. It's not an ultimate thing. Okay, hear me out on this next click, all right? What? Now you're getting out of control. People are getting their Bibles out like, mm-hmm. Families are supposed to be important. Now she's saying it can be a God. Families are important, very important. Your marriage, your relationship, your children, but it cannot be the center. It cannot become your God because you will become enslaved. You can think, how? How can I be enslaved? What is so bad? What's so bad about my husband being the most important thing to me? I'll tell you what's so bad about that is because your husband is just a man, a mere mortal man. <laughs> Shock. Through that. Yeah, no, we know. You're human. We get it. We've got a long list to prove why you're human. But if you have, let's just use the example of insecurity, you have insecurities, and you're, con- you're going to your husband to be like, I can't, you know, I'm not this, I'm not pretty, I'm not educated, I'm not blah, blah. And you keep going to him. You don't tell me that enough. You don't do this enough. You, he will never, ever be able to fix the thing that you need to take to Christ. That's a center thing. That's, you, he can't be that. Husbands, your wife cannot make you feel ultimately successful if you feel like a failure. I don't care how good she makes you feel in the bedroom, how perfect she keeps the house, how presentable your children are to other people. Ultimately, that is something you have to reconcile with Christ. That, that feeling of failure. All the guys are like, no, wait, wait, wait. Let's have her try in the bedroom first. That would help. Christ. Christ, the center. Because year after year, if you don't tell me this enough, you don't respect me enough, you... bitterness grows. Resentment grows. You can't do it. You can't be the ultimate thing. As much as you love that person and want to see them successful, and as much as you should, and husbands, you should be the most encouraging person to your wife. Wives, you should be respecting your husbands. Yes, yes. Not taking away from that. But it is not the fix to what is broken in here. And if you are looking to a spouse, to children, to fix an ultimate thing, the only option is disappointment and loss and frustration, slavery, right? Constant disappointment because you're not helping me. You've not, I don't feel better yet. People have asked me several times like, how did you and David not like turn on each other going through infertility? Why, you know, how did you stay good? And in my mind, I was thinking, what in the world does he have to do with that sadness? He can't fix that in me. We didn't turn on each other, like, make me feel better. You make me feel better. We have to take that to Christ. What is he going to do for me when I feel devastated? 
He can't. He can comfort me. He can love me. He is not the ultimate fix of the center of my life. That is Christ, and I have to take it only to Christ, or I'm sabotaging my marriage and my children and my business. Another big God to us that can become is time. Time. We're like, the older you get, the more you're just like trying to grab onto it, right? And that I'm going to say something a little uncomfortable. People, when they visit this church, are often shocked at the amount of youth that we have here. And um, if you've never been to a third service, that's where many of them go. But they're shocked. They're like, how do you get young people here? And how do you have them serving on teams? But you know what I think every time someone says that, and it's often, is if you don't have young people in the church... Who in the world do you have running all the teams? Who in the world is making Sunday morning happen? If you look around this room, and there are exceptions to this rule. I know that there are older people who are married with children who still serve in various ways. not just Sunday morning. This is just an example. If you look around this room, who's taking your tithe? Who's in the band? Who's on production team? Who's watching the babies in the nursery? Who's helping Pastors Grace and Ryan in the kids' church? It's young people. And I am quite frankly shocked that other churches get anything done. And I don't mean that as an insult. That sounds so harsh. I don't mean it. It's, a, it's truly surprising to me. Because the older you are, the more... I don't just mean old like you hit an age. What I really mean is you get married and you start having children, right? But time is a precious commodity, okay? I recognize that. It's like, well, I got to work, then I have to spend time with my wife, then I have to spend time with my children so they don't resent me. Yes, yes, yes. I only say this to say, just be careful. Let's be aware. Is, has time become an, a God to us? Where the last things on our list are like, we're, we're just trying to get God in the number one priority instead of him being the center and everything we decide to do outside of that springs from him one day we will be standing at the precipice of eternity right you will walk from this life and you will step into eternity and you will look at your life and it will feel like it was a dream you'll be looking at every your vacations your frustrations your pain your business and it will be like vapor running through your fingers. And the only thing that is going to cross into eternity are souls. Souls. It's the only thing we can take. And the things that we did for God. So how you used your business for God. How you influenced your neighborhood. The way that you served people to show them the love of God. And to tell them that is the only thing that, we can, that will cross through with us. Christ has to be the center because it's the only thing we can hold on to. You can't drag your business into eternity. It's staying here. Let's keep moving forward. Here's your small group questions for this first section. Who or what can you not live without? Who or what do you run to for comfort? All right, we'll spend the last eight minutes on the second command. So the first command is about who we worship, the right God, making sure we have the right one. The second command about making idols is about how we worship 
okay? This command, this commandment is the one that we're all like, woo, I feel good because I don't have any idols set up in my house that I put incense in front of or that I burnt. We feel good about this one, right? But this one largely, I think, Christians have struggled with figuring out what it means. And in the 17th century, Christians and Puritans interpreted this commandment to mean that art is forbidden. They took that part that said, you know, no image of this earth or sky. So they believed you should not have any art because that could be an image that you worshipped. And so if you went to a Puritan house, there was no art on the walls, no decorations. But I don't think that was a correct interpretation. And it has, and art in the Christian world has largely been ignored, which is why it seems like Christian arts are so behind. It's because for a long time, it kind of felt like, ooh, are we allowed to do this? And I believe that we are. This church, as you know, is very creative. God made us creative, and I think that's one way we portray him. So I don't believe that that's the interpretation of that commandment. So then, if it's not sinful to have art and to enjoy art and music and dancing and all of that stuff, then what does it mean? Let's take a look at it. In what ways do we make idols to God, to worship God? First way is an image of God in our minds. So, we were made with imagination, yes, and it's very difficult to learn or to picture things without a visual. We're visual learners. You learn that in education of how to teach people and teach children. It's very difficult with just words. And so even if I say the word God or if I say eternal, when I say these words, your mind conjures up an image, right? We all do it because it's in our nature to. We, we want to visualize, but we can't see the shape of God. He is invisible. We will never see him until we are with him in eternity. So it's a challenge for us to not have a visual when we talk about God. And so we start to create this image of God in our minds. And we have to be careful because if we're not making, basing that image off what the, how the Bible describes him, then he becomes an idol in our mind. For example, if I think that when I sin, eh, it doesn't really matter. You know, like, mm, no big deal. Grace, grace, grace. It's not a big deal when I sin. Then the image I'm building of God in my mind is now getting off track from who God says he is in his word. If I think... You know, God is loving. We know God in his nature is loving. So I don't see how a loving God could send people to hell. These are just examples I'm using. So, you know, I don't really think that's going to happen. If that's not based on the scriptures, so you are now creating an image of God in your mind that does not line up with who God says he is. You're creating an idol out of God. And we have to be careful to check the picture of God we make in our mind, in our imagination, or else we'll have a faith built on fantasy. It won't be based on something that's true. And it's tough to do this, because even how God is described as a father, right? How many of y'all, that's a loving image. No, <laughs> it's not a loving image for many people. So we, so we can even see God in negative ways that aren't true about him because our experiences with fathers or people are bad. So that's one way that God can become an idol to us is that we're not imagining him as his word says he is. A second way is an object or experience that makes us feel closer to God. Now, like I said, 
there's probably no one in here that has like a golden calf on your table that you pray to that you think, this is getting me closer to God, right? If you do, if you have a picture of Jesus in your house, you can decorate your house with pictures of Jesus. That's fine. If you think that picture is making you closer to Jesus, rip it down and burn it. (laughs) That is an idol. Okay, but I don't think necessarily the mass population of Christians in America are doing that. You know what we do? We take an experience that makes us feel closer to God, and we start to love that experience more than we love God. Let me give an example of this. When we're worshiping, when Pastor Jared and Grace and Alexia, they lead us in, you know, we're worshiping on Sunday, it's like, I feel so close to God. That is what brings me closer to God. Okay, just think about that. Or else you say things like, when I'm at the beach, that's when I feel close to God. That's how I draw close to him, in nature, in woods. I've said these things. Is that a bad thing to say? Is it a true statement? Is it true that when we're worshiping here together, we are actually closer to God than when we were driving in our car here? We are not actually closer to God in those moments. We feel closer. And we can fall in love with that experience of feeling God, feeling close to God, and make that an idol. We are constantly looking for someone to mediate us, to get us closer to the Father. But you know why that doesn't work? Why that's not true? Why these experiences turn into idols? It's because there was one mediator, Jesus Christ. And he, on his, with his sac- sacrifice of his life to pay for our sins, in that one act, brought us back to the Father, reconciled us to him, and said, now you can be close if you accept that sacrifice. That one act is what draws us close to God. Amen? And so nothing that we do can actually make God be closer to us than Jesus' sacrifice has already made us. Now, you can say, but Aslan, I definitely feel closer to God when I'm worshiping or in nature, in those things. And yes, I know, I do too. I agree with you. But it's not because he's actually closer. It's because we are taking the time to focus our mind in on him. So Christ is always here. He is always with me. In worship, I'm saying I'm thinking about him. I'm thinking about you, God. I love you, God. I praise you, God. Speak to me. I want to talk to you. And God says, yes, here I am. I'm right here. But guess what? When I'm sitting on my couch watching Netflix on Saturday night, guess who's still right there saying, Aslan, I'm right here. I'm ready to talk to you. I'm waiting to talk to you. But who's not focused on it? Me. So it's not that worship or experiences are actually making me closer to God. It's just making me aware that God, that I am already reconciled to God, and he is always with me, and we have, that sacrifice has already been paid. But when we start to love the experience more than God himself, it's now an idol. Good things can become idols in our life. Here, I'm just going to give you a visual, this, um, Maybe an oversimplification, but it helps give us an idea. So if David, my husband, goes out of town for work, wherever, he's gone for a week, or 
military families. He'll be separated for a time. And so, you know, you have pictures, right? So I might have this picture while he's gone, and I set it next to my bed. Maybe I sleep with it because I miss him. I don't know. You have this picture, right? So, fine, fair enough. When he comes back, what would it be like if he's like, hey, give me a kiss? And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay, I have the picture. <laughs> Weird, right? Yes. And he's like, come on, let's go to bed, let's go. No, 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 you sleep out there. <laughs> I got my picture. It would be odd. And yet that's what we do with God when we start to love the experiences more than who we are trying to experience. And that becomes an idol in our life. And so when churches get away from preaching the word of God, it can tend to lead to, towards idolatry. When worship is the most important thing, or your outreach, or your service, which are all good things and we should do, but it has to be connected to the center, to the source. So that doesn't become an idol in your life that you're more obsessed with the idol and how it makes you feel to worship that idol than it actually is to serve a living God who is always there with us, who we have been reconciled to because of Jesus Christ. And nothing we do, nothing anyone can do, can add or take away from what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Here's your small group question, the last one. What ritual do you practice that makes you feel closer to God? God is spirit, right? And any attempt to portray him as something else tends to lead us towards idolatry. Here's my final thought, and we will close. When God was creating, right, the earth, people, everything, when they were creating the Trinity, and he said... Let us make man in what? Whose image? Our image. So the image God did give us to portray him. Yes, we don't know exactly what God looks like. We don't know God's shape. We don't know his form. But he did say, I'm going to give them something that is a reflection of what I look like. It's us. It's us. Now, of course, sin came in and messed that up, right? But that's why we had Jesus, the second Adam, and he came and restored that. So we were made in God's image. So we have to do everything we can not to conjure up and try to make him into an image of what we think he looks like because he already did that in us. And when we act out Christianity, when we forgive, when we love, when we fight for injustice, we are displaying the image of who God is and what he looks like. Let's stand and pray. Let's pray together, and I want you to do whatever it is you want to do in this moment. If you want to sit in your seat, if you want to kneel, if you just want to stay right there, if you want to raise your hands, let's take this moment to say, God, I'm recalibrating to make sure you are my center. I will have no other gods except you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for your law that guides us in how to live. We do not want to live in slavery. You have set us free over and over again in history. And with one final act, with one act of Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. And we don't want to voluntarily live enslaved and in bondage 
because we place other things as gods in our life. The good things you've given us, our families, our business, our children. Lord, help us not make that our God. Help us not make that the ultimate thing that is more important than you. We ask for you to forgive us right now, God. Each one of us who have, has put another God before you, we say we're sorry, Lord. We're sorry, and we're so thankful that you are merciful to us, that you forgive us. You've already done it. The sin is already covered over because of your sacrifice. And forgive us, God, when we make idols out of our experiences because we think it will draw us closer to you, but we forget that you've already done that, Jesus. You've already brought us as close to the Father as we can be until we're together in eternity. So forgive us when we make worship or our own ritual or vacations or nature or music, anything that we think is what actually makes us close to you. Forgive us of making that an idol, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you that you are so merciful to us and that it is not your desire for us to be enslaved. In Jesus' name, amen.